Yeah, we're totally recording now. Actually, we probably got like two seconds of the rest of them while I'm underground. Hi. Hi. Hey, so um, this is a very special episode of This Ends Well, which will probably end really badly, but whatever. Um, last night, oh, let's go around the room and introduce everyone. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm one of your regular hosts, and... I'm Kelson, one of your other regular hosts. Yeah, I'm uh, Shane Castle from the Helena Vigilante. I'm Nikki Zupanik with the ACLU. I'm Jamie Greer with the Montana Human Rights Network. Kim Abbott with the Montana Human Rights Network. Amy Ophis, and I don't have an organization at all. <laughs> she was just for... one of the answers. You were one of the steering committee, yeah? Yes, let's okay. go with that one. That's cool. <laughs> um, and, and the steering committee of the uh, Helena Non-Discrimination Ordinance, which if you look on Twitter, had the ta- hashtag of Helena Ndio. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was funny. Helena Ndio is, you know, Helen. who knew? Um, and it passed. Okay, <laughs> that was our pathetic Long ball. <laughs> um, yay, asterisks. <laughs> oh, like we're in baseball. Were there steroids in <laughs> Okay, so the reason that there is an asterisk, who wants to go over that? Kim? Uh, sure. I'll ask for a little bit of help from others, maybe Nikki. Um, the reason there's an exception to our excitement is that the ordinance was passed um, with an amendment that carves out um, the protection for trans folks um, in very specific public accommodations. Um, The actual language is terrible. Do you remember it, Nikki, the actual? I've probably tried to block it out, but I know it uses the word anatomical sex and facilities where you are typically nude, routinely nude. I'm nude everywhere. Um, Under my clothes. (laughs) So the issue there is uh, that was put on about two weeks ago by Commissioner Thweet. Um, First name is? Dick. Dick. Um, hmm. And uh, he, he moved the amendment. He passed it with the support of Commissioner Ellison and Commissioner Elsesser. And for two weeks, we worked really hard to um, try to strip that amendment because it really does put um, the trans community in Helena in potentially dangerous situations and certainly excludes them from protections that they need. Um, so... Catherine Hopkazrath, um, another commissioner, drafted language with some help from uh, Nikki and the ACLU um, that mirrored some federal uh, language, compromise language, we would call it, that basically used um, better, more appropriate language to describe folks um, that are using facilities and also um, the facilities they're using, and then also went ahead and gave a process for people to to give reasonable accommodation if they decide to deny access to someone. And that amendment failed um, miserably One last to four. night. One yeah. to four. Um, we didn't get uh, support for the compromise language, which really surprised me. me I, too. I thought that that was going to pass. So that's why, I mean, what we have is an ordinance that um, protects all of our community in employment and housing and all of our community in some public accommodations with a big exception. Yeah, but if, the trans, if a trans person wants to use a gym, there's going to be an issue, basically. If, if they want to use the locker room. There could be. There could be an issue. Now, businesses can still do the right thing. You know, a business, a, a business doesn't have to exclude a transgender person from a locker room or any other space where they are typically nude. Yes. A business could still do the right thing and could allow transgender people to use the facility um, that conforms with their gender identity. I'm hopeful that Helena businesses will will do the right thing and and won't force trans people into dangerous dangerous at worst awkward at best situations. Right, and I think it's important to note. It's a little technical, but it's important to note that 
what this does is say if you're asked to leave a, a public accommodation like a locker room um, where um, that, that corresponds with your gender identity and you and it's because you're trans um, you don't have a claim for discrimination it gives the business a pass right to do that huh. right well, I mean, that's shitty. what it does. Well, certainly if we hear of businesses that are doing so, I mean, that will spread and people are less likely to frequent that business. Absolutely. So right. there's also an economic cost to the business if they decide to be discriminatory. Right. Um, so this whole process actually started a year ago, yeah? The yeah. first The first time that this draft was put into place was December of 2011? That, um... Not so much November? the draft. Catherine proposed it. This is Shane. Catherine proposed it. Uh, in that first January, January meeting that she had. Of this year. Yeah. Um, we'd been working on it, and Nikki had uh, submitted a draft to the city, um, the city attorney and the city manager, as a starting point, just to give them an idea of what we were doing um, last year in December. Um, and we kicked off the organizing campaign that, that everyone here was involved in, except for Shane. Um, you covered it. <laughs> I wasn't involved um, in it. I love the the, the kickoff happened, and I found out like four hours after it happened. I'm like, huh, sh- probably should have been there. Uh, <laughs> it was a great party. But, yeah, it was a good party. A Jamie and um, Amy could probably talk about the kickoff, which was super right. exciting. Which one was that? The one at the hub? Yeah, the, the hub, hub was the kickoff. That yeah. was amazing. It was packed in there. It was 100, packed. 125 people, 130 people. Yeah. And the fire marshal didn't kick y'all out? <laughs> you know, I will say that we've had some fire violations, fire violations <laughs> on this campaign. We've been breaking the law on that. Um, yeah, the hub kickoff was really an amazing event. Members of the faith community, business leaders, um, queer community, um, and then also Catherine Hawkhouse-Rath all spoke. And, and the GSA. The GSA as well, yeah. Mary Becker has been an incredible ally on this campaign uh, from Helena High. Um, Catherine Hawk-Hasrath, that was her first um, public speech or public you know, discussion since she'd won the election. Um, but you know, the reality is we, we were going back through a timeline of when all this stuff began, and um, there were... Uh, we had campaign. parties at Taco del Sol before that. No, no, that Taco del Sol party was after the kickoff. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, and that I was, was again that was another fire code <laughs> violation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we had a you know a meeting of about two dozen activists in the community in August of 2010 um, at the Bozeman Public Library meeting room, and um, it was a group of people who came together to talk about why uh, they wanted to see an ordinance like this. Um, here. And so, I mean, this has been a long process. So, Amy, how did you, obviously you were invited because you're part of the community, but how did you step into one of the leadership roles? Was that just something you wanted um, to do? That or? was, that was uh, Jamie and Kim, I believe. Um, <laughs> Twisting your arm? <laughs> well, Amy, <laughs> twist very hard, no. <laughs> I like getting involved with stuff, and I'd um, previously been involved with other state organizations um, involving um, gay issues, mostly social, on the social side. I'm trying to get into more of the political things, and uh, luckily, you know, people recognize that and gave me an opportunity to be on the steering committee, and I jumped at it. I thought it was a great idea. Cool. So, yeah, I appreciate that. You too. And Amy's connected to all the young lesbians (laughs) in Helena, so. (laughs) You have connections to all the young lesbians in Helena through LIT. Uh, so it's a lit. great that's uh, how I have connections exactly <laughs> not through her dating scene the reason not single but really the reason that we asked Amy was we were watching her do this amazing sort of community building organizing with lesbians in their 20s and 30s like this group that was in Helena lit and um, and we knew her from other organizations that, that she'd um, worked with and saw her sort of taking that social community and politicizing it a little bit and we're like come on <laughs> Come on over. Yeah. Well, that's cool. 
so we started this whole thing about a year ago. It's been a long process, and then we got into we. Nobody expected it to take a year, did they? <laughs> no one in this room. Internally, no. we didn't. Did you at the vigilante expect I, it to I take that no, long? I had no expectation of how long it would take. Okay, none at all. See, and I. I, I, my personal take on it is I never had any idea how long these things took. I don't know how long it w- went in Missoula. By the time I heard anything about it, it was, you know, at the point where they were having the big meeting that was going to go until two in the morning and everybody was there and chanting and cheering and drinking and whatever. So, um, much, I had, I, much shorter timeline in Missoula. Yeah. Months. Um, four months? Why? It was wow. four months Jamie of and the pre-work. Nick, I mean, pre-work, yeah. All of you, how many of you were involved in that one? Um, in Missoula, that Kim is. and Nikki, yeah. yeah. And Kelson. And MCADSE, yeah. yeah. What, were the, what were the differences in the processes? Well, well I mean... Pure idiots? <laughs> oh, my show, I can say it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I mean, I would say it definitely was a much more streamlined process, and I feel like public input was maybe, maybe taken into um, consideration in a different way. Um, the, you know, Missoula campaign, we had a timeline. We knew... Um, when we kicked it off, we knew when the vote was going to happen, and it was something for us to build towards. And I feel like in the Helena campaign, um, there was kind of a moving of expectations. The goal line kept goal line. Is that the right word? I'm I see the goal posts. <laughs> Sports metaphor. I only like soccer. That's the only thing I like. Um, I <laughs> everybody laugh. Um, so yeah I mean it seemed like they kept moving the goalposts on us and that was a huge problem I mean for us organizationally and it was a problem for I think a lot of our members Um, and that's why in Missoula it was one big hearing we had two admin meetings um, that I think Nikki and I were the only people who were there there's like maybe two or three people who supported it who are in the the room and one opponent at those in Missoula Um, and then we had the one big hearing um, and in Helena, it's been, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting until last night. (laughs) Yeah, I think there were um, a couple of things that I think of. First off, Helena was at a disadvantage. They Mm -hmm. were down a staff attorney, I mean a city attorney at the beginning of the year. So, what, a couple months (laughs) I would be willing to chalk up a couple months of of the 12th to that for sure. Um, But in Missoula, the difference was we had city commissioners who were committed to have a decision made on this one way or the other within a reasonable time frame. We had commissioners who who were willing to work with the language, who would debate it and discuss it, who would put forward ideas, they would get voted on up or down. And Helena had a different process. There wasn't that same commitment to moving the ordinance through the process in an expedited, well, not even expedited, mm-hmm. in just a normal way yeah. of, of moving the ordinance along. And when commissioners had concerns or had questions or had suggestions for how to change the language, it took longer for commissioners to even sort out their own opinions on some things than I think we've seen in other legislative bodies. Everybody's being really nice. (laughs) Well, I think this body is, the process isn't clear. I think it's very difficult to understand what's happening, when it's happening, and why it's happening. Um, When Jamie says, move the goalposts, that's a metaphor that I've used too, because when we sat down and 
You're who I learn most of my sports. December. <laughs> I'm happy to provide that service. She likes more than just soccer. Um, it's just every Sunday that's morning true. football. Very clear. Right. At the quarry, watching that's the true. Browns. The yeah. Browns, though, really. Mm. Growing up in Cleveland made forward. Growing up in Cleveland made me resilient. Resilient, you guys. Um, so, uh, you know, I think this body, I think, is just um, a little listless. You know, they're not. They're oh. not decisive. Um, there, there isn't a clear path that they're moving on. Uh, and that's really, I think that for all of us that have done a lot of different advocacy at a lot of different um, government levels, it was really shocking and hard to get our hands around what we were dealing with. And I think that, I mean, I felt confused right up into the end about what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. Literally up until the end, when there was an announcement that we may not even have a decision that night, right. randomly, out of nowhere, that we'd yeah. never heard before. Where, where did that come from? Uh, the mayor announced at the meeting, you know, if there's not a decision, or sorry, if the meeting goes past 10 o'clock, then no decisions will be made tonight. And everybody was like, what? Yeah. That was never discussed, or there was never a warning? So no. stuff like It's that. called bedtime, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> it is called bedtime. Oh, yeah. oh that man. So <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, I got to miss most of the meeting last night because I had to go um, make music and do beauty and art in a church. So my joke was last night, that's something that our opponents have never actually done. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so I missed a lot of what happened with our side, but I was following along on Twitter as much as I can in the middle of a concert, because that's tacky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did get to see some of the stuff that was going on, but by the time I got back, of course, it was time for the opponents to talk. And uh, they don't make a lot of sense, and they seem to be making a lot of the same arguments we heard at all of the meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. Was there anything new or interesting brought up last night? Or was it still just all the tired old trash that they've been trying Are those out? the only two adjectives that you're interested in <laughs> discussing? New or interesting? That, that um, limits the conversation. But. I think that their argument sort of evolved a little bit, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that would be the exact right word, but there was a change in the argument um, specifically around the, the issue of trans people in locker rooms. Um, early on, they were a lot of their arguments were more like just sort of the um, so-called bathroom panic sort of things, and that really drove the conversation for a while. But in some ways, it seemed like there was this shift more towards saying, "No, no, no! It's not about trans. It's not about trans people. It's about straight heterosexual men, pedophiles, who might use this as some kind of a shield." You well, know, they, that are, was their they already argument. have a shield. It's called the Catholic Church. So let's move on. <laughs> no, I totally agree with Shane. I think that that was a slight deviation. Well, first of all, the other slight deviation was that they actually supposedly care about discrimination. I would never want anybody in that room hurt. And they were so sorry about all of the discrimination yeah. we had experienced, which I think they were much more sort of... Um, Coached? Well, it just... Obviously, for me, it came across as very hollow, but it was much more of that. And I think it was because it's really hard to counter these amazing stories from people who are obviously acting fearless and telling about the things that have experienced to them. And it's really hard to spew hate when there's that much evidence. And so they're much more able to do that when 
um, people don't show up and tell their stories, right? So it's really hard to counterbalance that with anything but that sort of placating, like, oh, we're really sorry this happens to you. Although even a few of the opponents were still like, well, bullying's going to happen to everybody and there's nothing we can do about it and whatever. So there were still plenty of those. But definitely on the bathroom issue, for the first time in my knowledge, we went from hearing that trans people are the people that are dangerous in bathrooms to that it's going to be heterosexual predators who take advantage of this. I mean, certainly that's been mentioned along the way, but that was much more the theme of their conversation. And I think it's because they were a little bit shamed into not saying that it was trans people, but they think that they were counteracting our arguments, which is that trans people are in danger in bathrooms too. So So we need to get them the logic poster because they completely screwed themselves with that argument because they're basically saying we can't protect you because we're bad people. Well, Not, and that that would be their voice. That would be the op, uh, opponents of the thing saying, we don't think you deserve protections because we have bad people that will use those protections against us. Yeah, to That's a degree. a really convoluted bit of thinking. Hmm. I think for I think there it's worth talking about what bathroom panic is, just really quickly yeah. for people that don't know. It's a tactic that's been used for the last several years um, by opponents of LGBT rights um, that basically says that if you, if you pass this kind of um, policy that prohibits discrimination, um, it's going to make women and children less safe because trans people are going to be using the restroom and they're going to, you know, commit violent acts or crimes. Um, And, you know, it's particularly offensive because everyone in this room, and I think um, more and more people generally are understanding that trans people are really vulnerable in public accommodations and they are disproportionately the victims of harassment and assault and worse um, in this country. Not to mention Um, it's a hugely wrong stereotype to assume that just because somebody's trans means they're a predator in any way. And that was the assumption for a lot of people. Right. Um, and it's it's turning it around and acting like the people that are more likely the victims of these acts are all of a sudden somehow the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, a sad, divisive argument that people have had um, some success with um, and that our side has really had to learn how to deal with. Um, and we learned some lessons from the Equal Rights Amendment um, fight that, you know, also use bathrooms, you know, as, as a wedge issue for people that should be agreeing and allies. But that's <clears throat> that's one thing that didn't differ between Missoula and Helena, which is that in Missoula there was as much bathroom panic as we heard in Helena. In fact, there was the mm-hmm. Not In My Bathroom yep. group website. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have that in Helena, at least. We had a you know? website. Really? Yeah. About specifically bathrooms? I won't be saying their name because I don't want to draw them any attention. Uh, but there was a, there was a website, uh, and it was you know, eat, not, not eat, it was fast and pray and had a little countdown clock and, um, had, you know, ways to get involved, call to action. It had, you know, links to possible uh, outcomes if this ordinance happened. And then it talked a lot about, um, communities that have passed this ordinance and dens of sin and, um, but you know, one major hey, difference hey, hey. between I just called it my bedroom. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> one major difference between Helena and Missoula that I, I've seen as, lead organizer on both of these campaigns is um, in Missoula I certainly knew trans people but I think a lot of people who were involved in the campaign didn't know that they knew trans people or didn't have trans people who were very close to them and I feel like in Helena there's for a small town there's been more trans people who've come out and told their story whether it's very publicly like into a microphone or whether it's more private at events or um, just with their friends, and so there was a different level of of connection 
to this ordinance and why the T and LGBT mattered so much. And I think that's been a huge difference. <clears throat> so that's something I'm trying to think about today. So, it, speaking of telling the stories, and I saw this yesterday, uh, Truth or Progress had an interview with Amy up. Um, <laughs> you actually got up and Amy spoke. rocked the mic last you night. Did. Hey. And, and it, for all of us, it takes a level of courage. One, we had had different courage the first time you come out because it's a pain in the ass. And then um, <laughs> that should be said. I mean, right. for people that don't know, I mean, well, it, that's what I want to get yeah. to. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It is your show. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's fine. What it is is, you know, we've all we've all gone through these stages where we've had to come out and we've had these stories to tell. And and you know, my common joke is that we have to be the ambassador from Queens all the time and tell people that you know, I am gay because sometimes they just don't get it. I don't know. The glitter's not enough. But uh, Amy, last night. You testified for the first time. You had, you've been to the meetings before, but you'd never testified. And you'd helped steer the committee. What was it like for you to have to stand up and not only tell your story, but do it in as uh, the, the surprise was slightly given away, but you had to confront <laughs> your landlord, which was the biggest concern, because you don't live in Helena, do you? Uh, just outside in East Helena. Right. right. And so the ordinance doesn't cover you. Right. So you see, I mean, you take a huge risk to do this. This is not. So to be quite honest, I probably wouldn't have gone up there if Jamie hadn't been like, get in front, you're in the steering committee. And I was like, oh, well, all right. But I needed so that extra the push, though. <laughs> <laughs> I did need that extra push. And so I was like, all right, I need to do this. So I like hopped up kind of second, second in line. So I'm like, if I don't do it, like soon, I'm just going to wuss out again. <laughs> so, um, so I got up there and said, you know, you know, I was scared of getting kicked out. Um, did that, sat down, was relieved, but kind of scared because my landlord, feel his burning eyes in the back of my head. Um, he got up. He was the third person to speak on the opponents, and he said he wasn't actually going to speak this meeting, except he was prompted by me. And they said my name, my tenant, Amy Ovis, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. Um, but his testimony was peculiar. It was a lot different tone than his other testimonies and other hearings. He didn't say gays are discrimination. He didn't say, you know, gays Could are Could it be because now he God. actually knows one and likes one and has I, to reevaluate his position? I think he still thinks that. He's a minister, Baptist minister. Not to say that all of them think that, but um, he's definitely portrayed that before. I don't think I changed his mind any. I think I put him on the spot. And I think that he'd had to try to save face a little bit. Good. Um, which maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it did change his mind, but I'm hesitant. But he did um, actually come up to me afterwards, after his testimony. We ran into each other in the hallway, and... Um, oh, my gosh. Were you just freaking out inside? Yeah. This is dramatic. Oh, it is. <laughs> I'm like, this is the worst I've ever heard this. <laughs> I had a huge pit stain. Like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? But there are witnesses. There are witnesses. Yeah. All right, do your worst. Um, he was pretty civil. Um, He's very civil. He's like, you know, you've been a great tenant. I've known you gay for four years. Um, I'm like, well, that's creepy. How did you know that? <laughs> I was like, I go through your mail. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. There's but, um, something about lit. <laughs> yeah. So, no, he was uh, pretty civil. Said he's not going to kick me out, which was a relief. I said, yeah, I wish true. I would have known that six years ago. I would have been a little bit more, you know, comfortable where I live. Um, Actually, I didn't become uncomfortable about it until this ordinance, um, honestly. It's like, it's not his business. He's a no. And I'm like, oh, no, this ordinance. And there was a funny story about this. the revelation of, like, who your <laughs> landlord was, like, maybe the first campaign <laughs> yes. steering committee. And yeah. I can't remember why he came up, but he came up as someone who traditionally opposes LGBT stuff, and you were like, um... Oh, my God, that's my landlord. <laughs> so you weren't aware beforehand that your landlord had these beliefs no, no, I didn't. I mean, I kind of, I knew he was a Baptist minister, and that made me a little bit nervous, but I didn't know if he was as active as, mm -hmm. as I soon found out. But um, I think it'll be okay. He said a couple of creepy things, too, but um, 
Like, if I were 20 years younger, I'd be, like, all about you. And I was like, creepy! Oh, I thought we had redeemed this, and now I'm oh still uncomfortable, God. but in a whole oh, different way. gone from dramatic to, ew. Yeah. <laughs> really fast. Oh, so I was like, oh, thanks, shoulder hug, and then run off. You like, did the Christian side hug? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. The Christian side <laughs> it's hug. It's a thing. It is? Is it really? No, that's a real thing. You guys can Google it later. I don't want to go into it. <laughs> I don't think I want to Google it. Safe search could be out. <laughs> There's a rap song about it. A Christian rap song about it. Speaking of heterosexual what? predators. <laughs> what? Where did that come from? I don't get it. And where is it going? What is that a segue into? I have a three-part question. Just an awesome non-sequitur. <laughs> So just randomly in the middle of that, we'll be breaking for a musical number now. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's super oh, weird. Uh, yeah. Well done, Kelson. Well done. Um, so the ordinance, you know, obviously we finally got it passed, and we are, you know, it's a 75% ordinance. Is that about what it is? You Maybe know, more. I think it's hard to put a percentage number on it because, because we're talking about a vulnerable part of our community that was targeted and specifically left out for no reason so like putting on like a we're 90 percent there it like seem rings a little hollow for me because obviously it's just not about who like it's about who's vulnerable in your community who needs the protection the most um right and but and we didn't choose to abandon them it's not like we left them on the road absolutely not absolutely not i mean we all i think everyone in this room i think um everyone there last night understands that this passed and this is a big step forward and if you went through all of the if you read the odyssey um shane's that was really amazing um it was really long uh, (laughs) article on sort of this process that actually came out before the process was over uh you know you understand that it's kind of it's like it's like a miracle that this thing got passed you know like it was almost dead so many times and we like revived it and it was difficult and cumbersome process and not only did it pass but five to zero and we never expected to to get ellison right i mean so so it's all very interesting but the thing is like everybody i think has led and everybody understands that it just means like we're not done here yet we really we really believe going into last night that we'd be done with this part and like we'd be on to public education and like moving on and now um we have sort of immediate work to do. You know, we have to figure out what can be done. We have to strategize about how we get it done. Um, and we're going to ask everyone that was involved, you know, to come back again and help. Um, and I think they will. And I think we also have to make really clear that Helena is not the model ordinance. Right. I think one of the commissioners even used those words last night. Ellison. But didn't he say it was the model? Yes. Yeah, saying that Helena could be a model for other cities. And that really did make me cringe. I am very proud that Helena passed this ordinance. Sure. And I think that uh, the protections that are afforded under it are amazing. And they're broad and they're, for the most part, completely inclusive Mm -hmm. and I'm really proud of how the community stepped up and fought against the trans the anti-trans amendment it was really heartening at the December 3rd meeting to see the long line of supporters all chiming in with I support the ordinance without the amendment yeah like that was completely unprompted (laughs) and everyone was uh, in unison that that the amendment had to go but this is not a model ordinance Right. This is not what we want to see in place in other cities. We can do better, right. and we will do better in other cities, yeah. I think. Well, and the move on this next one is basically to just get that one part changed in the yep. and, yep. you know, So we just have to you know, screw their courage up 
I'm not sure how, because I didn't notice too much of it yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. We'll have to, I think that we have some work to do, you know, fi- like sort of figuring out what the next steps are. I mean, I know for our part, um, we're going to work with the steering committee to have a big party. You know, one of the coolest things about this campaign, I mean, the policy, Nikki's right, the policy is broad and for the most part is really great. And there really is this one part that's carved out of it, you know, just this one area. Like most public accommodations are actually fully inclusive protections. Um, this is a very narrow area. But um, one of the coolest things was the way that this community came together and like really used this this organizing effort to like build a sense of community and have sort of, we heard from the steering committee early on that in Helena we needed to do social events. Like there wasn't a space for LGBT people to I mean, how get much together. chicken did we eat at that barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Quite we had a, a who wants to talk about the, um, like that was a crazy, well, I think that your point is correct, which is that in Helena there wasn't the same community that exists in Missoula. Missoula is just, you know, more people, more out people. And one of the things that is a real benefit of this is that we had so many social events where people were coming together, you know, not just in bars, but in lots of different family-friendly venues. We had a big barbecue picnic, so to speak, this summer. Out at the fairgrounds. Yeah, and I just think that that space has now been created and will sustain and didn't exist in the same way before. I mean, we all had our little pockets of activities, but those events in my, you know, 10 years back in Helena are the only events I've ever been to that were so all-inclusive of people who cared about these issues. And that's a real change for the community. And then how many people these guys got on signatures and all of the outreach that they did over the last year. It's, It's weird because on the one hand, I'm really disappointed it took so long, but because it took so long, they spent so much more time on the ground. I mean, Jamie and his volunteers have been at like every public event yeah. in the last year. So that is a huge public awareness thing that just wouldn't have existed if I it know. was a two month campaign. I, I'm know? pretty sure that if Jamie ever decides to run for office, everybody already knows him. He doesn't right. <laughs> exactly. He'll just be like, I'm running. So kudos to them for keeping up the work for a year. But honestly, we got so much more. The news had to cover it for a year. You know, people had to be emailed for a year. We're gathering signatures, and that's sort of sea change is as significant as Mm -hmm. a policy change, I think. There were so many things that happened. I mean, signature gathering was one of my favorite parts of the campaign um, just because of people's reactions. I mean, we had had hostile reactions, and they grew in number, I think, towards the end of summer. And we had some volunteers that had some pretty awful experiences. Um, But the positive outweighed the negative so much and it was little things that would happen. I mean, it would be, you know, gathering signatures at the fair or gathering signatures at farmer's market and have a group of people walk by and one person in the group realizes what I was doing and comes over and while they're signing, you know, shouts back at their friends who've already moved on like 10 feet away um, and they say, you know, do this for Sally or do this for Mark. And they're making those connections and they're getting their friends to get involved and some of those people were at the hearing, and they were at other events. So, I mean, those kinds of stories are, I think, really what I try and focus on. But we did have some hostile interactions. We had volunteers get yelled at. We had one volunteer who had a very creepy incident where a man whispered in her ear. Um, I can't remember what he whispered, but it was awful, and the volunteer was so uh, frustrated she was moved to tears. Um, we should have shared these stories last night. Well, I think. Um, <laughs> well, there. I notice. I'm sorry that, that in watching. I mean, 
if someone came into it with a completely ahistorical view of it, and they went to any one commission meeting, their view of what the public um, output or the public opinion was on the matter would be so skewed, as opposed to looking at the thing in the long term and hearing all these things building upon each other. I mean, the question, I guess, is do people really need to come back every single meeting and repeat themselves just for the people who haven't seen them do it before? Um, I mean, from a journalist perspective, I don't, I don't think it's reasonable to expect people to do that, especially when it's something where there is a, a real reason for them to be afraid right. or to fear retribution <clears throat> in the community. Uh, that's yeah. my two cents. And with this commission, we had to. We yeah. had to come back yeah. every meeting. Because we had to say it again and again. Um, we I mean, even up until the last day, you're answering the same question we asked answered 10 months ago yeah you know why does this yeah. why you know why do you even need this protection it's like really i mean that's the one thing about having a 12-month campaign that is frustrating like all the base building we did great but 12 months of having to answer the same basic questions and then i'm sorry but on top of all of it you have at the end of the hearing last night sitting elected officials saying things like i've reached the end of my understanding and comprehension and it's just beyond me and that was shameful yeah that was and shameful the thing, thing is that it's like that you don't moment. get to say that after a year's worth of opportunity to no, learn about that it. was the moment where i really wanted to say and i did say it under my breath because i didn't want to get arrested because i was in a tux and i thought that would look like a really bad mugshot <laughs> but i really wanted to say then resign your position and let somebody who's got a brain take it because that's exactly what it amounts to. And I think everybody who had that, and that would be Al Sasser and Mayor Jim Smith, uh, I'm sorry, they should not even bother to try to run again because they proved that they can't handle complex issues. And we need leadership that can handle, understand, and deal with complex issues. Well, and I think yeah, it's even beyond that. this is particularly <laughs> complex. Yeah, and know? I don't... It's willful. I, I think, think both with uh, Mayor Smith's comments, which, you know, as Jamie said, I was really disappointed in him just as somebody who knows him well. I was really disappointed. Both the fact that the amendment remained or the bad language remained and those sorts of comments at the end of the night that were like, you know, my hands are up in the air and there's nothing else I can understand about that. For me, it's not even about, like, intelligence or whether or not the language carve-out and all of that stuff. It's the fact that they think it's okay to just be like, ugh, this trans thing, man. It's so complicated, and it's so whatever, and it's what too it much is, information. It's and it's just and so dehumanizing and demoralizing and, like, disregarding of people's true humanity, which is that their, you know, stuff is complicated, and it's who they are, and... I'm sorry, Jim, but you can't understand it. Imagine what it's like for that person to go through life having to experience all this discrimination and internal yeah. struggle, and then you're an elected official saying, ugh, hands in the air. There's Come no on, you can do better than that. There's no imagination required on this. Jim Smith has been meeting with people. I mean, he's talked to queer people in the community for years now about why this is necessary. I mean, Jim and I sat down um, after the... Over a beer? Um, at a coffee shop here in, in Helena um, to discuss, you know, the idea of an ordinance and what it meant in 2010. Um, this is not a new thing. And when I when I heard him say that, I mean, it was shameful and it was disappointing, but I also was just really, I think I was hurt because it, it just seems, like, have the queer people who've been talking to him been speaking French or Spanish for the last two years? Like, what is it that you're not understanding after hearing these stories? And I don't know, it's... It was disappointing. I think this is how they, this is how this commission does business, as it turns out. Um, and 
their responsibility is to understand and pass public policy. And this, they did have, they had tw- over 12 months to think about this and talk about this and had really good assistance from people that have expertise in public policy, like Nikki, you know, getting stuff from national models or other localities and bringing it to really try. And I think the, the thing that's interesting is um, we were sort of accused as a campaign, um, not me personally, but like as a campaign of being, you know, unwilling to compromise and, you know, only talking about principle and like they were trying to be practical, which is um, a remarkable, we don't have to get into why (laughs) this is not a particularly practical um, amendment to the ordinance. But, um, but, you know, I think we compromised and worked with this commission over and over and over again. You know, Nikki went on sort of hunts across the country to try to find, like, any other place that had had this weird question come up, you know, so that we could find existing, you know, tested alternatives to some of the stuff. And I feel like every couple weeks for months, you know, you were off trying to find, you know, what would proceed? Proceed. I mean, is there any other word other than did perceived, perceived end up in the final? Yeah. By it the did. way, it stayed in in the end. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing is I feel like part of the game was like moving so many pieces around. So by the end, you're like, what? What did they, they just forget about, about it? Did they just forget about it? Like to vote on it? I think that I think they honestly did. It's in there, and they. they I know that a couple of them were t- going to talk about it, but by the time they got around to it last night, I think they were so tired they forgot. Because I was no. discussed over and over and over. And that was one of those the reporter things. might know. In, in, in an meeting. admin meeting, they talked about it. They hashed yeah. that one out finally. They, did. they got. Mm-hmm. Did Jim you know, finally Catherine, step back? <laughs> um, Catherine Hawk Hausrath, um sort of, I mean, walked, and she had done this several times. Her and Hinnoin had walked, that's the city attorney, had, had sort of walked them through the sort of hypothetical situations. Um, they, they didn't do that right away, like whenever they first started talking about it. It wasn't as big of a problem, but then they eventually did. And at the one of the last business meetings, admin meetings, they did hash that out. But that was one of those big sticking points for mm-hmm. a long time. Because apparently they can't buy a dictionary. <laughs> Well, we were in a, we were talking about, you know, like the steering committee would meet and like when one of these like, let's call them a kerfuffle. Um, they, all, they all seem like kerfuffles, <laughs> like when compared to the last two weeks. But, you know, like they were, you know, the mayor had said, you know, I'm just not going to support. I just don't understand it. I don't agree with it. And I'm just not going to support um, perceived, you know, in, in this ordinance. And we went into an admin meeting where he's said essentially that and we came into a steering committee meeting and I was like well like we have to make some decisions or find some alternative language and Amy was just like but there is an alternative language <laughs> like perceived is just the like word. that's it <laughs> that's the thing and we were like oh, I yeah. cracked open the thesaurus <laughs> not finding anything else <laughs> but you know it was I mean I just feel like it was one thing after another you know um yeah and I for me and it's not all about me. Um, <laughs> but for me, what was most frustrating about the the endless discussions about language, the every month a new thing popping up, every week it felt like we suddenly had to pull together a public hearing type mm-hmm. turnout effort, and and then at the end for it all to <laughs> end with a... Yeah, what, what can I do? The most frustrating part was that we had put so much effort in as a steering committee, as a community, uh, to get the commission members to become engaged with the language and to hash out these items so early on. For all of the effort that we put in, for it to end with, oh, this is just too hard. 
Yeah, it is. You know who it's hard for? (laughs) (laughs) The 200 people standing in the hallway who have been trying to talk to you about this for the last 10 months. Which we didn't mention that, but they only allowed us an hour of testimony, which, you know, better than we could have expected sometimes in the legislature or in other situations. But just note that the Missoula City Council sat there till, what, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning? morning. Mm -hmm. Listening to to testimony. (laughs) And there was at least another, you know, 40 of us in line to even testify last night that didn't get to. So, well, I mean, just, you know, in the room, (laughs) let alone all the people that would have said something. In some ways, I'm happy that they did that. And And I don't know if that's... I might change my mind. But... I'm happy that opponents only had an hour. I mean, we had a lot of people... Nikki's absolutely right when she says, like, we were turning people out for hearing after hearing after hearing. And we had a lot of people who flat out said on this one, they've come to multiple hearings and they've talked multiple times and they just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And people left. And there was a palpable difference in the building after proponents were done and people left the building and it was time for opponents. I mean... The halls were, you know, freer. <laughs> they weren't quiet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was... It was only so many times you can hear yeah. people say that your lifestyle's wrong. It's yeah. against God. It's unnatural. There's only so many times that you can hear that. Mm-hmm. So a yeah. lot of the community who isn't used to hearing that sort of thing once is enough. I mean, the, no the, the fact that that many turned out multiple times mm-hmm. is impressive. So I don't blame them at all. I mean, exactly. I, even, I only listened to a few of the opposing. I'm like, you know what? I can't even do it any again, you know, and I wander the halls. And See, and those of us who work at the legislature are desensitized. I mean, it still affects us, but I think we're so used to hearing it. I wouldn't say we're desensitized. <laughs> well, but, <yeah>. my point <laughs> is that... You have screens and filters. We, uh, <laughs> I've heard it a hundred times, and so we have to remember what it's like for people who haven't been exposed to it as much. Like, not desensitized in the sense that it doesn't impact me, right. but desensitized that I forget that it's part of why you would want to go. It's part of why you wouldn't want to keep coming back because you're not having to experience that sort of thing all the time. And, you know, in the legislature, we experience that all the time. Yeah, and when I got back last night, I was sitting in the hall with uh, Carissa, and um, I could hear some of what was being said, and immediately as I could hear it, I was like, no, I'm very glad I'm not in the room. I need to have a conversation with somebody so I can block some of this out because I have an inability to shut the fuck up. And I would have said something which would have been very inappropriate and not helped the cause. And for so. our members like <laughs> Kevin, we do a lot of prep on the front end. Um, in all seriousness, because it is shocking. Like, if you haven't mm-hmm. sat in those hearings, like, if you've just, like, you have some fear, you know, like, a bad thing has happened to you before, like, you're engaged, you want to take part in the process, the first time you hear opponents and the things that they say, about, you know, you and your friends and family and community. And especially when the mayor thanks every single one of them for their comments. I mean, it is shocking. And it actually, we realized that, like, you have to prepare people for what they're going to hear and not scare them out of the process Mm -hmm. because that would be the opponents winning, Mm -hmm. but actually just prepare them to, to not engage with opponents and to... And to, you know, leave if they have to and that they're going to hear some really terrible things. Um, And uh, so we do a lot of that on the front end because I've seen people really lose their cool when they're not expecting it. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're not expecting to hear Mm -hmm. what they hear. Uh, Mm I lose my cool and I'm expecting to hear it. So, (laughs) you know, after the after the the hearing ended last night, I talked to a a young man who I know personally. Um, He lives near me out on uh, out in the West Valley. And um, so he's an opponent. And, you know, so I, I tried to sort of 
get a take on some things that I'm not, I haven't been perfect, I haven't ever heard articulated very well, like how you can say you're against discrimination, but then say, but for this one particular reason, i.e. my faith, I should be able to discriminate, you know, and, I, and I'm just trying to get to a sense of, well, how that, how that works, you know, and, um, you know, what it eventually eventuated in was a discussion about how people shouldn't be protected from people being rude to them. And this was sort of how he saw it. And I'm not trying to say that's the that's correct. What I'm saying is that was his feeling. And I think he was very sincere in that and thinking, I don't have to worry about other people's feelings. I don't. Why are we legislating rudeness? And that was his take. So I'd want to know what you would say. <laughs> what do you say to that? We're not legislating rudeness. rudeness at all. Because I'm still going to be rude to you, you fucking prick. Um, and you can still be rude to okay, me. Okay, well, let's, let's try for a real answer. Shane asked a legitimate question. <laughs> and, but that is a real answer. Well, well, the ordinance was really clear about the specific types of actions that are considered discrimination. The ordinance spelled it out. And so, for example, the ordinance talked about what was considered employment discrimination. And the language that the ordinance used said... If you are making a decision about someone regarding their hiring, their firing, or other aspects of the job, that and that d- those decisions are being based on someone's sexual orientation or gender identity and expression, that's discrimination under the ordinance. So the ordinance did spell it out. I totally get it's a lot of dense legalese, and um, going through each of the three main areas, employment, housing, public accommodations, uh, reading through those sections can be difficult, and yeah, most people have never picked up an ordinance or picked up a statute, and it can be a little intimidating. But the short answer that I would give is, it was all in there. It was all in there. And in housing, we specified denying housing to someone, refusing to rent to them. In public accommodations, refusing a good or service to someone. So um, it was all in there. Yeah, and not to mention that it's about like, an, an overt action, mm-hmm. but then also that it's on the plaintiff or the person who has been affected to then prove yeah. that it was an overt action based on this thing. So this idea that somehow it's the thought police makes me crazy well, because it's really so much more complex and like limited than that. So I'm not, we weren't trying to shift anybody's beliefs, but right. I think, you know, very specific legal protections are very different than like trying to change the culture. We're actually not doing that in that ordinance. And the fundamental difference between being rude and being discriminate discriminatory towards someone is huge. They're not necessarily related. I'm rude to my friends all the time. They're rude to me all the time. Sometimes it's funny. That's part of life. That has nothing to do with discrimination. And discrimination, while discrimination is very rude to do, it's also now illegal. Thank you. It's a fundamentally different thing, though. You and can think, still be rude without being discriminatory. But I think, and we also, I mean, I'm sure that the the young you know, man who was an opponent that you talked to absolutely believed whoever told him that this was about thought police or that this was about, you know, policing rudeness. Um, I'm, I'm sure that he got a communication from an entity that, that he trusts well, that and got that information. Their, their sticker. Because right. They're, they're, the opponents had a, a sticker that they had put up, which was, special rights are not equal rights. And all of us were going, yeah, you're right. What about it? That's not what we're asking for. And we've been down that road. How many times do you think you've explained protected class? Oh, gosh. <laughs> if I had a dollar, strawberry shortcakes for everyone at the Rialto. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that comes up all the time, and people are always asking, why should we add sexual orientation, gender identity expression? Why should we add gay and lesbian people? Why should we add transgender people? It's it's hard for me to understand why uh, people want to exclude some people from being protected. You know, discrimination laws are not something novel. They aren't something exotic. We've been living with federal non-discrimination laws since 1964. For decades, we as, um, as, a, as a community have decided that there are certain reasons that just aren't right for someone to base a decision on. And we've identified a few different areas that shouldn't ever be the basis for making an employment decision, shouldn't ever be a basis for making a decision about whether or not to rent to someone. Things like race, religion, someone's uh, uh, sex or gender. And, um, and I think that people understand the importance of having those protections, and somehow there's this disconnect. Yeah. You know, there's this idea that sexual orientation <coughs> and gender identity or expression are different than race. They're different than your religion. Um, you shouldn't be treated poorly because of your race. For some reason, we all kind of understand the basic concept behind that. We all kind of understand that your race is not something that you can change. It has nothing to do with the content of your character. It has nothing to do about the merits of who you are as a person. And so we shouldn't let people use that as a basis to make a decision about someone else. All of that same reasoning applies to sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. All yeah. of that applies to gender identity expression as well. And I think, you know, it's just, it's, it's, the, it's the historical shift that needs to happen, obviously, because those things that you just mentioned, it wasn't always true that people understood why you shouldn't discriminate based on race or gender. So it's just, it's part of the shift we're making. But yes. I think absolutely, um, the you know, maybe some of the people that were sort of less informed, part of it is because there is still, you know, in addition to just kind of society having to shift a bit, in my experience, there's um, somehow that the religious stuff is supposed to trump that evolution of rights, right? And you didn't have maybe, you know, I'm just missing it, but you didn't have as much kind of religious fervor around race or gender or whatever. So, you no, know, you did, no, it, you it, did. But I'm, I'm just saying like, there's that the primary thing they use with gay rights is religion. It's the I guess primary thing they used against uh, equal rights for women. It's the primary thing they used against equal rights for blacks. It's, it's well, like the, the primary weapon against most things. What's really interesting about it is that, and you know, we have a freedom of religion, but it's an internal right. You get to have that all on your own. I don't get to judge you. It's yours. You keep it to yourself. But they're trying to use it as an external right against other people, which is a, a, a an in a, inappropriate use of that right. Because it's not for you to force it on someone else. They have their own internal religious rights. They get to do that themselves. So it shouldn't be affecting anybody else externally anyway. Right, but, but I they're just using think, it as a weapon. I think Shane's right that people, it's like the two things kind of clash, which is that I feel like I have this religious right to believe what I believe based on my religious teaching, and somehow that is external. So, um, I just remember really it's just one of those things that that's like this thing that people hold on to as a way to discriminate, mm -hmm. and it and it is surely still alive and well and true 
as in regards to sexual orientation. I mean, it is the primary message that we hear in addition to gay people being predators in all legislative policy things that I've been a part of, you know? I think there's... Well, I was just going to say, fundamentalist churches have gotten political and gotten organized over the last three decades, four decades, too. I mean, they... They are. They have been building power, and they have been sort of politicized. Um, and so that's. I think that when it feels like there's more of a force there, like those arguments were around. They've always been around, mm-hmm. but like they're organized. You yeah, know? They show up on buses. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of really things that make all this, these questions messy or murkier for a lot of people because one of them is I think a lot of, of opponents really don't believe that there is a separation of church and state. I mean, you hear that argument a lot, put forward a lot now, that there is actually no... Accurate. There's no... What's that? Accurate. Yeah. <laughs> like, they build off of it. Yeah, and they... they yeah, it's, yeah, this is a fact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, they, and that's one of those things which, you know, I, I don't think that's a... I think my, maybe the jury is still out on that one, but that also another one has to do with... Um, I think a lot of these people were just arguing against civil rights legislation, period. Like, a lot of the people I talked to, and maybe I didn't necessarily write what they said, because I think a lot of it would have just made them look really bad. Um, (laughs) But they they did say, I mean, a lot of people really are just railing against civil rights, uh, against affirmative action, against civil rights legislation. I mean, just period. They don't think that there should be rights. They don't think there should be protected classes at all. I totally agree. And that that makes the whole thing really impossible for you to really have a rational conversation. Yeah, I think, and not all of them are like that. I mean, yeah, I, I talked to some rational right. people. I, I, I want to make that clear. And I do think that that is a significant subset of the opponents, though, are people who just fundamentally disagree with the premise that the government should ever be stepping in and telling private individuals what they can and can't do when it comes to hiring someone or renting them an apartment or whether or not they should um, get a good or service in their business. Um, That's a a subset of people, and I actually can appreciate when someone has the balls to tell me that that's what they're about. Um, Because there is a lot of... of, um, a lot of people are very wary to share that because basically what you're saying is you would want to repeal the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Right. You want to go back to segregated lunch counters. You want to go back to women uh, not being able to be in the workplace. Uh, what stands in the way between a segregated lunch counter is federal legislation right now. It is the government stepping in and saying that in the public sphere, there are some rules that you have to live by. So there are definitely people who um, who fundamentally disagree with that. And if they are honest about it, I can at least applaud them for being honest. I totally disagree with it, but I <laughs> applaud them for being honest. What is more frustrating are the people who do own that belief and are not they may not have even come to that conclusion internally that that's what they're thinking, but they definitely aren't sharing that. They aren't being honest about what it is fundamentally that's bothering them about discrimination laws. So instead they talk about, well, maybe some classes, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist. Um, Maybe some classes are okay, but not this class. Bootstraps. (laughs) You know it's true. Yeah, yeah. Gays would just pull themselves up with their yeah. own bootstraps. Just use your bootstraps. Um, really? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's the whole um, 
So it's the problem with the sort of uh, live and let live, which is is popular here, and like sometimes we use it too, like on our side in Montana. But there's a there's an ideological belief by a group of people that um, there's no role in government for mitigate, mitigating societal unfairness. There's no role in government for changing expectations or trying to change behavior. You know, there's um, government should stay out of it. And I think um, people that under, I think Nikki gave a great explanation about what's standing in between of like real regression and real marginalization for a lot of group, groups of people is the government intervening. Um, and it's important. And I think, you know, Senator Kaufman always says the government's all of us. I don't know why we're constantly separating ourselves from the government in a representative democracy. You know, like this is about all of us and um, we have to make it work better. And I think in Helena, we went a long way to making, you know, this city's policy match our values as a community. Um, we just didn't get all the way there. Um, and we have, a, we have some more work to do to do it. But I mean, it's absolutely, and from our perspective, it's absolutely the role of government um, to make sure that community members can fully participate. That seems basic to me, so <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly astounded by the things that we have to enumerate to the opposition because they seem like basic things they should have gotten in government in fifth grade, but apparently they've missed that year. And I think if you're going to buy into the fundamental premise that, yeah, government does have a role in making sure that people can participate in, in the public sphere, and should be able to walk into a business, should be able to get a job. If you buy into that fundamental premise, then drawing arbitrary lines saying that we'll protect these classes that all have this in common, but we'll leave out the classes of sexual orientation and gender identity, that's a huge breakdown for me. That's the logic that I don't understand. Because in all of these instances, what you're guarding against is having a, a trait that is inherent, is something that you can't change, or we don't want to force people to change, like their religion, and is totally unrelated to the merits of who you are as a person. That that shouldn't ever be a basis for someone making a decision about you. Sexual orientation and gender identity falls into that class. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, we're coming up on an hour. I know Nikki has a phone call that she has to take shortly. and. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for coming. I know that we had uh, a year-long struggle to get this done. I know it's been frustrating for everyone. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at, the, at what we did get accomplished. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not everything that's not ideal, but it gets us to where we go, and we're about to be faced with the legislature again, so probably should take a couple weeks off. Stay tuned. <laughs> and, uh, <Buckle> and Exactly. <laughs> yeah, put on your seat but we all have something to be proud of. Yep. You guys had a... You know, not perfect, but awesome victory. And um, this is only the next day after. And so I hope that we all celebrate and appreciate that um, we accomplished something really important yesterday. So yeah. good History job. History was everybody. made. Yeah. Well said. It's true. So I think that's it. So thanks yeah. to everybody. Let's see, really quick, we'll go around the room and say thank you to everybody. Of course, me and Kelson, and then Shane from the Vigilante. Um, which you can check out online at HelenaVigilante.com, correct? Yes, sir. And then uh, Jamie and Kim from the Montana Human Rights Network, and Nikki from the Montana ACLU, and Amy Ophis, who was on the steering committee for the uh, non-discrimination ordinance. Uh, thank you very much for all of the hard work that all of you did. Even those of us in the community who are not gay and lesbian are 
transgender or bi or queer or intersexed or two-souled or all of the other letters in the alphabet that we put into it when we really get out there. We appreciate the work that you did because it makes a difference when all of us are treated more fairly, everybody's better off. Yeah. So, cool. thanks. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. All right, we'll talk to you in uh, January. Yeah. Next show, January. Sometime after Have a good my birthday. Holiday. I'll be 40 when we're back. <laughs> okay. <I don't> <laughs> Bye. Bye.